This podcast is not training or supervision. This is an invitation to delve into these really big topics. When we are talking about clients, please know it is not you. It is a weaving together of stories that come up over and over again. With Edge of the Couch, we are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to discuss in school or even supervision. We are two passionate therapists sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Hey everybody, this is Jordan Pickell and I'm Allison McCleary. And this is Edge of the Couch. Today, we're going to continue answering listener questions. Yeah. And and as we said last time, these questions are so good. We got so many. And we're really stoked to dive into this kind of second chunk of questions here. This question says, in a recent episode, you spoke about clients that have said they have feelings for you. How do you handle that? Has it ever ruptured the relationship? Allison, I think this question is for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's happened to me a handful of times. Um, that a client has expressed that they have romantic feelings for me. Um, how do I handle it? I always immediately seek supervision mm-hmm. because it's really good, again, just to be held accountable and to have someone to know that this process is happening. There's been situations where, to me, it feels like it immediately means that that client would benefit from a different therapist. Yeah. That's happened to me where, like, the boundaries begin to make me uncomfortable. Like, a client who's maybe drunk at 3 a.m. and texting the work phone and, like, I'm thinking of yous, which happened to me. So that's a person that I'm like, oh, okay, you're overstepping the, like, artic- well-articulated boundaries of our relationship and that's that makes me a bit uncomfortable And so I think you would really benefit from seeing a different therapist and maybe a male therapist where the romantic stuff and the sexual stuff doesn't even have to get in the way. And in those situations, it doesn't make me feel like uncomfortable in a like – I don't feel unsafe, but I have had situations where once that's been revealed, it actually feels really viscerally like unsafe or something has shifted. Mm. So I've had to rupture those and those relationships. And then I have had it where, um, you know, with one particular person who revealed that they had feelings for me, it felt to me like it was a part of their relational pattern that they, that, you know, that person and I could work on together. And so I did try to open it up to like, hey, maybe we can do work around this. Ultimately, that person decided to leave therapy and that's their right to do that. It's so dependent on the situation of how, what the next step is. And that's where listening to your body and trusting your gut is huge. Mm -hmm. Seeking supervision is huge. Taking into context like what you are working on with this person. I'm sorry that this is the answer, but it depends what how (laughs) to handle that. It just really depends. In answering this question, I haven't had anyone disclose it in that explicit like I like yeah explicit I haven't had anyone articulate it in that explicit way and so instead it comes out in I don't know a feeling a feeling I've been I've also been asked for coffee where it has Mm. a little bit of an energy to it it's hard to address romantic feelings if I'm just sort of intuiting them yeah so instead it goes right into these are the boundaries of the therapeutic relation let's talk about the feeling let's talk about the boundaries of of the therapeutic relationship I felt like I was sensing it for a while. I wish I had just named it earlier. But again, I was a newer therapist and I just didn't know. And now I think I just would earlier be like, hey, I'm just wondering, like, how are we doing? Sometimes I feel like maybe, I don't know, that maybe you have, I don't know, you're making a face. Look, you think you can ask? I mean, maybe that's my discomfort, but I just can't imagine asking a client 
Do you have a crush on me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> how would you even broach that? I just would, I think. You I said, do you have a crush the- on me? No, no, no. Maybe not do you have a crush on me, but I might say something like, in my opinion anyway, you can name the charge in the room. Like, when we're together and we start talking about these types of things, I notice this, like, energy that's here. What is that? Is that, like, oh, my gosh, I really like this person? Is that this, this therapist is amazing? Like, what is happening for you? Like, I, I don't know. I think you can't I, – I think I could. Mm-hmm. I don't think it happens to me very often and I imagine it doesn't happen to you very often where I think someone is attracted to me and it turns out like I was completely wrong. I don't yeah. know. There's like a gut sense sometimes. Clients can find us attractive and that doesn't mean – sometimes that doesn't mean anything. Totally. And they can enjoy our company and that doesn't mean anything. It's when the boundaries start being crossed that it's important that we have the conversation. I think we said this in the last episode where people will comment on how I look like, oh, I wanted to see you because I, I thought you looked cute in your picture. Right. That has never happened to me. It becomes this, okay, if another thing happens. Yeah. Then, back burner, right? You just you back burner know, yeah. something and you keep it there for if you need to bring it up again. This is where supervision is huge. Mm-hmm. Having another person that you can talk through this stuff with is really, really helpful. And knowing that like it might rupture the relationship, but that's that's not necessarily like the worst thing sometimes. Yeah. The therapeutic relationship is supposed to be this container. Exactly. If it's not safe for one or the other person, or it's getting just totally thrown off the the purpose of the relationship, it makes sense to it makes sense for them to, like you said, to be better served by someone else. Yeah. Totally. Shall we move on to the next question? Yeah, let's. Let's. What do you do when clients say racist or sexist things? Great question. Mm-hmm. You go first, Jordan. It's hard, especially if you are the target of the if you it's part of the group that you're a part of yeah then it's really hard to hear and you don't have to continue seeing that person if it makes you feel unsafe or even just you start to not like that person to me it's we get to choose who we work with that's just that's my opinion totally and so if someone regardless of what the reason is if you don't want to continue that relationship you can leave that relationship that's just the way that i see it Now, how do I respond when clients say sexist or racist things? Sometimes it can just be like that simple boundary statement of, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, I disagree with that. Or, hmm, that's Mm. racist. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes people will say, I feel like this might be racist or that you might be judging me for this. And then they say it. And I'm like, well, I mean, it is a racist thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about that more. So I don't know. What do you think? I don't think I hear sexist things as often as I hear racist things. And I imagine that's because I'm a woman and I'm white. I think often white clients believe that I'm going to collude with them in their racist thinking. So they'll say something racist and, and expect that I'll just be like, oh my gosh, totally. But I don't do that. Again, it depends on context. So sometimes clients will say something in the span of a sentence and they don't even like pause on it. They just like kind of keep going. And so you know that I've started doing this thing where um, gently I'll go, no. It feels important to me to name, to do something. <laughs> Recently, and this I think is looped into the question, I had someone go on a really transphobic rant. Mm-hmm. I mean, rant, like a whole thing. I was really angry. I could feel the anger in my body. And I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to just swing back into the session and just kind of keep going, that I had to address it in some way. So I said something like, wow, I am so surprised to hear you say these types of things. Mm -hmm. 
because, you know, for the XYZ stuff that's coming up for you, I really would have thought that you would be more tolerant of another group of people who are also vying for Mm -hmm. care and protection and who are marginalized in similar ways to the ways that you are marginalized. And so I'm really, really shocked to hear you say these things gently in a way that was like still respectful of our relationship because we are in a relationship with these people. We don't want to like – if we want growth to happen, I think that we can't always just be like, you're horrible. I had to maintain a relationship with this person. That was a way that I felt honored how disgusted I was and also ensured that we could still do therapy together. Right. Sometimes it's therapeutically relevant that they Mm -hmm. are – And this was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. therapeutically relevant in terms of that anger and projection that they have on other people, pushing other people away. Yes. I'm better than other people. You know, like there are a bunch of different ways that it could come up in a therapeutic way. And then there's the safety of the counselor, the safety of the therapist. So if there's something that makes you feel – Unsafe. And and just if you're somebody who is just, I don't have, this is the challenging thing where we want therapy to be a space that people can say anything and don't have to censor themselves. Mm-hmm. And there is, there is a limitation to that. When therapists claim to be non-judgmental in totality, I'm like, how? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I judge that person for going on transphobic rant. Yeah. Because transphobia is gross to me. And I think a thing worth judging. I, I mean, if you told me that you kick your dog every morning... I'm going to judge you for that. You tell me that you don't like this group of people for something that they can't change about themselves. I'm going to judge you for that. So this is a, it's a really delicate balance. I think it's important, especially if we, if we feel grounded enough and it's fine and we're in a place of power, then it might be useful to say, where is this coming from? And to explore that with the client again, maybe it's therapeutically relevant yeah, or it's a boundary, which is also fair to have as a therapist of just, Mm -hmm. I don't tolerate racism in my counseling room and that's just a boundary that I have and that's the that's the agreement that we have for you to be in this room but yeah it is challenging because we want people to feel that they can it becomes part of the therapeutic relationship where if they feel like they are constantly censoring themselves if they feel like they have to take care of you because of how you're you're feeling about the things that they say then that is not a useful relationship for that person and they would be better served by someone else anyway and I think about what we know, what the data and research shows us and, you know, just lived experience shows us about what helps people to change their minds about something. As a white person, I sit in this place where I think I can influence. I feel a sense of like I can influence other white people um, without feeling as damaged or hurt by the things that they're saying because they're not talking about me specifically. That there's space and we know that when we go to like, you're racist, this is horrible, blah, blah, blah people just rear their backs up and they don't they don't hear whatever you say next. If the goal is to help clients change and be more successful in relationships and successful in the world, which to me means not holding hate for groups of people, is it part of my job to help them realize what's going on there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. And I think a lot of other therapists would say no. They would say, you're pushing your agenda. That's <laughs> not what they're coming for, right? Sure. And I like the way that you put that where it's like it. it's a part of – growth. It's a part of growth. That's how I see it. And being in right relationship with other people and yourself. Because if you have hate, I mean, this is almost like this religious thing, but if you have hate in your heart, like that is, that makes you sick. 100%. Uh, But yeah, I I guess I want to acknowledge that other therapists would be like, 
boop, you are going off on your own mm, rather than sure. being with the client. Yeah, but I like the way that you put that because I, I too think that that is important to the work. I think it's so interesting when therapists have those types of like, well, we're not there to influence, but like, of course we are. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally what our job is. Yes. And we, we're trying yeah. to teach people how to be nicer to themselves. So is that not, infl- I don't know. Yeah. I could go off no, on a whole tangent, I agree. But- I agree. Yeah. But preaching it, to the converted over here. But it is, yeah, I it is controversial. It and, sure is. And yeah. we are for sure gonna have to talk about this more. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that I land on in this conversation is that if a client ever says or does something that makes you uncomfortable, yeah. you don't have to keep seeing that client. Yeah. End of the Yep. How does a therapist not think about clients they really care about outside of session? Allison, we also have very specific views on this. What do you think? I know what you're going to say, but (laughs) maybe our listeners do too. This question makes me sad. Our programs fail us. Hmm. It is completely normal to think about your clients between sessions. It is completely normal to wonder about them and to think about what they're doing. Now, if you're spending like eight hours of your waking day thinking about your clients, hey, we have to have a conversation. But to wonder how your clients are doing yeah. Is so normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's human. Is that what you and, thought I was going to say? Of course. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's part of just being a caring human. Like, of course, yes. we're thinking about clients. I think the boundaries are when we take them on as if they're our own problems. Sure. Like, if sure. there's sure. stuff that they're bringing, there can be like a second, you know, vicarious trauma happening where yeah. we're. Like I've had, because I'm, I, I am, I work with a lot of trauma, I've had a few nightmares before where I am living out what happened to the client and it's happening to me in my dream. And so Mm -hmm. that's when it's like, ooh, we need to do work around this. We need to, it's not from a place of, I care about them. It's about I'm putting myself in their position in a way that is not helpful for me or for them. Sure. So yeah, if it's getting in the way of getting through your day. Yeah. Yeah. Or like being present with your family, then yeah, it's a problem. But caring for other people, no, it's fine. It's good. It's human. There are going to be some clients because of how long you've seen them or what's going on for them or maybe counter transfer and stuff that you are just going to have a connection with and this care for who are going to cross your mind. Yeah. Thinking about my clients who, you know, they end a session going like, I'm breaking up with my boyfriend this weekend. Yes. Or I'm quitting my job on Monday. Mm -hmm. Or I think it's my birthday. I have a big birthday. It's my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I think my parent is going to die before the next time we see each other. Like, that's going to cross my mind over the weekend of like, oh, I, that so and so's got that big thing happening this weekend. I hope it goes well. Another thing where it's not helpful to be thinking about your clients or caring about your clients outside of session is when it comes from sort of a patronizing place or I'm saving them place. We can think about, oh, they're going to break up with their boyfriend or, oh, this big thing is happening this weekend. I'm sending my thoughts out to them and I'm holding care for them in my heart versus, ooh, are they okay? I hope they're okay. Mm -hmm. And sort of fretting about what the client is experiencing in that moment. If we are dysregulated around it, if there's a crisis feeling because it's coming from this patronizing place, then that is a problem. Yeah. I should reach out to them because I know they're going to have a big weekend and I should see if they need an extra session, and Mm -hmm. um, which gets us into a bit of a savior-y place. Yeah. Good to get supervision around that. Yeah. Even though, yeah, caring is fine. It's just when it throws us into crisis. And when our and when the caring takes us to a place where we start shifting our boundaries, mm-hmm. yeah, in ways that are unsafe or 
exhausting or yeah yep next question this is kind of more of a statement but we know we know where we're to go with it i am worried i still have too much of my own stuff to process but i'm starting an mft program soon Mm -hmm. as a master's of family therapy probably that sounds right i'm gonna Mm -hmm. guess Mm -hmm. so many of us were drawn to this work because of our stuff in graduate school you could look around at peers and see how some of so many of us were working through our own stuff in grad school. Some of it was really healing for some of us. Yeah. The process of becoming a therapist is deep can be deeply healing. Now, being worried about too much of my stuff being in the way. I mean, part of this, yeah, is us doing our own work. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of the wounded healer that we're not this we're not supposed to be this perfect vision of complete healing and in fact to me that's it's almost like a red flag of you're you're not at the top of the hill and these clients are I know. Yes. So what do you think? So many people who go into helping professions have their own stuff. That's totally fine. It's fine to have your own stuff. I think it's also fine though if you start the program and you realize it's too much. Mhm. I wanted to do this thing. I started it and I realized I just have a bit of my own stuff to work on still and I'm going to do that first. Mm. That is completely fine. Yeah. There are people who I think who I maybe think had that experience that we know, but we're too worried about what it would mean to just stop. I think it's totally fine. I just want to put that out there. They felt like they had too much still to process. Yeah. I mean, I saw that. I certainly saw it in my doctorate program that I'm in now. There's a couple people who left after the first year and who I think, like, good for you. Yeah. I'm, you know, if that's what you needed to do, good for you because it's okay to start something and realize it's not for you. Mm hmm. And I don't know if we talk about that enough. And I think we really celebrate like not quitting. Yeah. To this person, we believe absolutely that you can do what you want to do if this is what you really want to do. If you need to take a break, that's totally fine too. That's a a myth or an idea of being a therapist is that we don't have our own stuff. I can imagine the imposter syndrome for people who aren't completely worked through their their stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that it's more people than not have still have stuff to process. Yeah. I don't think I know a single person alive, certainly in our profession, who has worked through all their stuff. I know a couple of people who would say that though. Yes, yeah. But I don't know if I actually <laughs> yes. know anyone mm-hmm. who has fully worked through whatever their stuff is. Certainly not me. Still working on it. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a gift, I think, to have your own stuff that you are actively working on because I think it makes you a better therapist. I agree. Yeah. So well, there's a reframe here is like you having your own stuff will make you a better therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, for sure. And like can, you said, yeah. pay attention, attune to yourself. Um, do what you need totally. to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our next question, how do you navigate when someone doesn't rebook? I want to hear what you do. I, when I first started my private practice, this was something that came up a lot. Mm. I was really concerned about wanting to keep clients going. Like I needed week to week, I needed clients. So I would, I felt internally this push to try to get clients to rebook and ooh, how can I get it? So I did this thing where I would ask people to rebook in session with them, which eventually became my practice because it's helpful for people to get in the booking system. But originally when I first opened my private practice, it was very much like, ah, I need clients and trying to keep clients. But now I know that I have enough clients. There are always more clients to come. And so it is just like, I'm not going to chase anyone. If there's some important reason why I might want to reach out to them, like if if they were 
having suicidal thoughts our last session or if it feels like there was some kind of rupture, maybe I would reach out. But I would say most often I let it go and they get to come back when they want to come back. Totally. Yeah. Same. I'm not going to hunt down a client. No. Because for a lot of clients, not rebooking – for some at least, not rebooking is their way of ending the relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think that it puts undue pressure on people to be like, hey, you haven't booked in a while. You put them in the position of having to be like, I don't want to. But again, it's like context matters here that there are clients when if I see that they cancel the ne- their next like three sessions or something, I'm going to reach out and go like, oh, what's going on? Um, if it's someone that I've seen for years and then suddenly they just like are not booking, I might follow up. Again, if I'm worried about them, I might follow up. But yeah, for the most part, our clients, my all of my clients now for the most part are adults. They are tasked with their own schedule and tasked with keeping on top of their mental wellness. And mm-hmm. so it's going to be up to them to be on top of their booking. And I trust and believe that they can do it. How do you navigate when someone doesn't rebook? I imagine part of that question is also how, how do we respond emotionally, internally? Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it was very, oh, did I do something wrong? And now I really do trust that clients – do what they need to do. And sometimes I'm not the right fit or they got everything they needed out of the sessions that we had. But if it's a client that I've seen for a while and I felt like we were doing good work and then they drop off, I do think about them. I do think about, oh, did I push them a little too hard because that last session was really big and I felt like we were making finally having a breakthrough and then they take Mm -hmm. off. Mm-hmm. That makes me wonder. That makes, makes me reflect on how, what my part in it might have been. Yeah. Me too. I'm so busy and have so many clients and so many things that I'm doing that I don't often notice. I know. Yeah. If a client doesn't rebook. Yeah. They'll be like, hey, I haven't seen you in three months. They'll be like, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, totally fine. You can, of course you can rebook. I'll be like cooking dinner and all of a sudden be like, I haven't seen that client for months. And I'll just like come to me all of a sudden that I haven't seen so-and-so for a really long time. And then I just kind of go back into my life. If you have a a small client base, it's a lot more obvious, but I don't. And I'm seeing clients at lots of different sites right now. So yeah, I see a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Last question for today. How to navigate when a client doesn't do homework? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You tell me. But I want you to start. Okay. All right. Well, my answer is that my homework is always – my homework is never required. In fact, I give it as a suggestion. Hey, maybe you could write about this. Hey, maybe you could notice this in the next little bit. And so my type of therapy doesn't really lend, isn't about this forward moving, you need to do homework thing. So this question isn't really for me. But what about for you? I don't give a ton of like concrete homework. And I also think that when we think about homework as like the client gets something out of completing this worksheet. I think we're missing the point, which is if a client does or doesn't do a homework, there's space for exploration about what that was like. It's not it's not the content necessarily of the sheet of paper that matters. And so similarly, if a client doesn't do homework, to me, that's like, ooh, okay, what was going on there? Hmm. Because sometimes it's just like the client goes like, I didn't want to. And then I'm like, that's great. I'm glad you didn't do it then. Don't do stuff you don't want to do. But there also can be like, oh, I was avoiding it because I knew it was going to be hard or Mm -hmm. I just don't have the time. And that's good to know too. Like, wow, your days are so busy 
that yeah. you don't even have the time to do this minute and a half worksheet. Like, what is that about? Let's talk about that. Grist for the mill. Yes, yes, yes. Totally. I feel sometimes really bad because sometimes clients, especially like newer clients who don't know my style as well, are really upset when they come back and they're like, I didn't do the homework. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I literally don't care. I forgot that I gave you homework. It's grist for the mill, right? If they're feeling embarrassed or guilty or even ashamed about it, then let's talk about that. And Exactly. There are types of therapy where the homework is really important and part of the therapy. And so for clients not to do it, it might be interpreted as quote unquote resistance. Non-compliance. Yes. Which maybe we're saying in some ways in that it's grist for the mill, but it's not about this power over clients of like, how dare they they transgress the rules that we've agreed on for therapy. And I don't see it that way. Or I don't believe that a client not doing homework is going to prevent them from on their journey of wellness, whatever that looks like. But there is an interesting thing that happens where sometimes clients want homework. Mm Mm-hmm ask for it. We come up with something and then they still don't do it. Yes. Which is like, I didn't even want to do this. Yes. You, it seems like you wanted to yes. do this. So we yes. did this thing. Yeah. So what's that about? Again, it's more like an exploration into avoiding using homework as a way to have power over the client as much as possible because that's so weird. Mm-hmm. It also, I'm thinking of one other thing around mm. why clients ask for homework and then don't do it. It ends up being a conversation about wanting to heal faster. Exactly right. right. I want change to happen. Exactly right. I want you to do something so that I can experience change here. Yes. It doesn't really work that way. Well, maybe <laughs> it can. Obviously, it can. Sure. Attention and intention awareness. and awareness yes. can, you know, groove in those neural pathways. But this idea that I'm going to do this worksheet and that's going to propel me, that's going to be this magic wand into something else. That becomes a conversation about how is this process feeling for you? Um, how is this pace feeling for you? What is tell me about the frustration because yeah. some of the homework stuff can bring up those feelings. And then as a new therapist, being like, "Ooh, I better come up with homework." I feel like I, I need to justify my time with them, and I need to show them that they're making progress. So I'm going to give yeah. them homework. It's this theater of busy work, so that they feel like they're <laughs> making change. Yeah, but that's just me. I totally agree with you that I think it's people wanting to be like, how can I fast forward uh, through the hard parts and mm-hmm. get to the healed place, Yeah, please? Mm-hmm. Is there a worksheet for that? Yes. Or, <laughs> you know, and you're like, yeah, no. Yeah. But as a new therapist, I definitely was like, yes, here it is. If, yeah. you, if you get really good at this skill, you'll be healed. Mm-hmm. Great question. Is there anything you want to say to close our Q&A episode, Allison? Continually appreciative of – participation from our listeners and these great, amazing questions. They just were so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can always send us more questions or feedback through Instagram at edge of the couch pod. Yeah. Um, or our email address, which is connect at edge of the And then we will see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch. 